All visual art captures something of the inner and outer worlds we inhabit, whether in a direct and realistic way or in abstract forms and articulations. All art forms do, I guess. But photography has some very singular properties. Although it can, of course, be tweaked with various filters and exposures and editing and so on, nothing can quite match it for its truthfulness. As they say, the camera never lies, which can be both wonderful and unsettling. In a split second, a camera captures a split second and fixes it forever. The famous, if maybe apocryphal, reports of some people fearing that a camera might steal their souls makes a certain kind of sense, at least to me. I'm Frances Butt, and this is Emotipod, a series of conversations celebrating and exploring the emotional impact and benefits of the arts with various artists, artisans and creatives. My guest in this episode is fine art photographer Paul Graham. With great empathy and humanity, Paul has been capturing all manner of keenly observed and thought-provoking moments for over 40 years now, producing many books and exhibiting all over the world, including at the Venice Biennale and the Museum of Modern Art in New York, where he now lives. And you may hear one or two New York sounds along the way in our conversation from without and within the building he's speaking from. I read up on Paul going through some of his books and his archive website. I confess I get a little intimidated by some of the fine art world language, which can be super intellectual and rather dense. So I felt a bit apprehensive about talking to him about his work. Well, I hope you'll forgive me for not having any of the um, art world vocabulary. <laughs> I'm not one of those sort of art curators and writers and anything like that. But um, me either. But thanks for joining me, Paul. And it's good to see you, first of all. Well, unfortunately, I'm I'm not feeling very bright this morning. I don't know what I must have woke up on the right, wrong side of the bed. And well, you, know. you mentioned COVID malaise, and I think millions of us have that at the moment. And when I started this series beginning of last year or end of the year before, which was triggered by the pandemic, causing loss of access to the arts, I wasn't thinking we'd still be here in 22. Uh, I don't know about you. So, uh, like people ask, did you have a good war? How's your pandemic been? So far, it's not even over yet. Mustn't grumble. (laughs) As we say in England, mustn't grumble. (laughs) Um, But I will. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) No, it's it's been fine, you know. We're fine, everything's fine, you know. Um, I'm at home with my partner and our son Mm. and none of us have caught it to our knowledge, who knows. You know, asymptomatic cases and all that. Yeah. Um, and you know, got a nice apartment and the sun shines and uh it's okay. Everything's fine, you know. Um, I did uh, you know, because I'm a photographer and I go out in the world and I work with life yeah. as it, it comes at you. That's yeah. been hard because 
everyone's wearing masks here, you oh. know, it's, so it's very um, locked to a certain time and every picture you take looks like a, something you're doing about the pandemic. So I've been, so I stopped work believing this will pass and I'll be able to pick up things up in a few months time. And now here we are two years later. Yeah. And, and when I turned on my camera, it said flat battery. So <laughs> I charged the battery and then, I, and then I put the new battery in and it said set year set language, set date. Gosh. It just wiped out all the memory digital cameras, you know. It's like, it was, which was, it was just like it had been so long disused that the camera just like. Forgotten how to be a camera. Yeah, forgotten how to be a camera. And it was basically also a screw you for not <laughs> loving me, for, for not picking me up for the last oh, year and charging me up. Cruel. Yes, cruel camera reminded me of my own laziness, you know. So, um, I don't know if it's laziness, uh, but wow. So you've been, I mean, you work with, well, moving images mostly, don't you? You don't do still life. But you do capture things that are not people, but mainly you work with people. Oh, yeah, I work out in, out in the world. And, yeah. you know, I, I, um, I don't stage things. I don't, you know, set things up or uh, establish, you know, I'm going to come over Wednesday and we'll make a portrait and, you know, see how that goes or... And I tend to work with life as it comes at you. You know, the, the bit of photography that's always interested me is that dance between the artist, the photographer, and yeah. the world, you know, yeah. and how there's this kind of like pas de deux between them. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of what's unique about it in some ways. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about whether you are always in that spontaneous dance of what you just you just step out and step into the unknown or do you have plans for you see something and then the theme arises that you're going to follow or how does that work out and how does that work yeah all of the above oh, okay you know, <laughs> all of the above. either any or all of them take it where <laughs> as it comes okay you know, right. i mean sometimes it's sometimes i don't i don't sit at home and cogitate and think up oh i think i have the perfect <laughs> idea for a series now let me just put on my pince-nez and look it up in the encyclopedia and just confirm that it is correct. And then I can go out and illustrate my perfect, profound theory. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but equally, you know, if you just go out randomly and I don't so, know, some balance between the two. You, you, can't be, you can't be mindless, but neither can you let theory and dogma take over from, you know, otherwise you just won't react to the world in any way. Yes. So that's the, that's the thing, that finding that balancing point. Yeah, yes, yes. But... And you're reacting to the world and you're capturing that. And uh, are you aware of like an emotional, I mean, I, this, this series is about the emotional realm of, of a person's work and how you might see or experience the benefit of that to you and your viewers or both. And so are you aware of that? You know, you're responding to something that you see and you snap it there and then. And is it something, is it, what's it? bringing out in you or you're responding in some way so what's going on there in that moment yeah you are I mean what it is you're responding to and what is at the what is at the root of that response is often a surprise and news to unknown to you at the time and then oh. later the the fog clears a little bit and later can be a week, a month, a decade, you know, it can take that long to find out what it was that was behind something. You know, That's really interesting. So there's a con subconscious element to just... Oh, definitely. Yeah. So that really does take it more away from photojournalism. But I was going to ask you about the documentary art thing, because 
um, I can't remember your Wikipedia page says you're a art documentary, something like that, photographer. Does it? What, what does it say? What does it say? Hang I don't say. know. <laughs> I don't write it. <laughs> Some people write their own Wikipedias that I don't. I've got, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. good. <laughs> yeah, so it says, yeah, it says, yeah, art and documentary, really. So between the two there, because you are capturing something that's real of the world, something of the real world in your work. But you're in art galleries. Yeah, as I as I said to you, I go out into the world and I yeah. make my pictures. I don't I don't work in the studio. I don't stage mm. things with people, and neither do I synthesize things in the computer. You know, with Photoshop, like oh yeah, yeah, you, which, which is fine. People make great work that yeah, way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, there's there's good work to be made in those other areas, but that just isn't actually what I do. No. So I I go out and I wander and I walk and I react and then I come come to something that I think is interesting and if I'm lucky it's of interest to other people uh, yes yes in that way yeah um I would say the work has become you know I've been a photographer now for 40 years uh photo artist whatever you want to call me for 40 years now and I would say the work has become more personal as time has gone on it was very out there on the edges of was more documentary-ish in the practice with unemployment offices and Northern Ireland and traveling yeah. across Western Europe. Yeah. And then more recently, you know, I've done portraits of my mo- late mother, mother, now late mother. Yeah. Um, I, my partner asleep in Does Yellow Run Forever and Rainbows in Ireland. So I've done, it has become more personal. My, more personal. My, part, mm. my wife is in it. My mother is in it. So clearly, you know. But does that come with time and just being more comfortable that you're you're able to do that without worrying about it too much because you're at home with your medium? Yeah, or maybe I'm just uh, the well is dry and I've run out of ideas. <laughs> oh, That's no. what it is. So uh, no, I don't know. And wanting that plus, you know, uh, there's another thing that's happened in the last five years is it's being frowned upon to go out in the world and photograph other people's lives, other people's experiences that are not yours immediately. So, you know, obviously one would, you wouldn't go and do abusive pictures of poverty or homelessness and proclaim how great you were as an artist from that, but equally to be interested in someone else's life and have empathy for other people's situation for sure is something that matters it really matters i mean with american night you were there was there were photographs there of deprivation that remember there's one person in a wheelchair i was i made me cry to be honest right well that was me coming to america as well as me arriving here right you know 20 22 years ago oh is it that long ago gosh you're right okay yeah yeah 98 99 some of those are so yeah 22 years and and yeah whether it's you know very white high register high tonal register pictures of people some were homeless many were just the working poor in Mm. america who were waiting for buses uh sitting on the other side of the road walking to work because they Mm. didn't have the money for a car you know and did you and, talk? Did you, um, talk, you talk to them, or did you do you ask for permission? Some, not so many in that case. It was about how people become invisible in the landscape, and how we psychologically tune out poorer people and the suffering we don't want to see. So we psychologically 
blind ourselves. We will ourselves not to see it. Yeah. And so that's the work mimics that by these very white pictures that made them near invisible. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was yeah. it it was about that sort of the psychological desire to to not see. Yeah, I don't want. I don't wish to see this. Yeah, you know, I don't wish to see yeah, that. Yeah. which is which is a, a problem. Yeah, but that's interesting. Now that the there is a, a sensitivity to that way of going about looking at things and looking at people, or talking about yeah. other people's cultures, or appropriating people's cultures or yeah. whatever there's a and it's not just a not just a problem for photographers yeah it's wrong no exactly it's, a, it's critical of documentary filmmakers mm. of uh, ethnographers yeah. uh, of writers you know fiction writers are being criticized how uh, chefs <laughs> it's yeah. everywhere yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes if you're a if you're a um, <laughs> you know what right does zadie smith have to write about the life of a uh, uh, a gay man, for example, when she's a, a straight woman, you know, yeah. it's it's strange. People are critiquing everything at the moment. And yes, yeah, strange times. In some ways, we understand why. And that is it is correct. This corrective is necessary. But if we lose the great writers and poets and filmmakers and documentary photographers, then we've lost. If people just stop, then that's a terrible situation. Yeah. Is this hitting you uh, yourself? This sort of element of cancel possibility of cancel culture? Um, not too bad. It's just give it, you know, obviously it gives you pause. And I, I mm. actually we started talking about this because I started talking about how the work has taken an inward turn to my family, my right. mother. Yes. Um, so you know, it it was a necessary for, for for that reason and for other reasons too it's you know i'm getting older and you sort of look around you yeah and yes. uh, you look at your life and you know the, those you love and things that matter you know your your immediate family yeah. and your situation your home and you take stock of that as you reach your dotage and get your bus pass yes you know? yeah i guess that's also part of the way the world has been going the last couple of years we're you can't jet off to the Maldives or whatever people were doing before. True. So you'll look around in the country around you or the, the streets around you. And here, every time the weather gets good, everyone comes out and every square inch of grass has somebody on it <laughs> because everyone's mm. using what's around them more and not traveling abroad, not waiting for their holidays to, to see the world. They're looking around, I guess. That could, that could be a good thing. Yeah, yeah possibly. I mean, um, yeah, my family my sister and husband left in uh, england of seeing more of england they're they're veteran holiday makers they've traveled all over the world but suddenly they're just seeing all of england and they're Mm -hmm. they're like enjoying it you know plenty plenty. four times a year going (laughs) yeah that's great that's great so when you set out you're working in color you've always worked in color you've you've done black and white series you always worked in color my very first few months as a photographer yes you know just learning how to develop and that was what was expected then well it's how you yeah it was hard to you couldn't print color yourself then it was too difficult you know in in when would that be i don't know 76 something like that right long time ago and uh yeah you'd learn how to shoot in black and white but yeah no i quickly moved to color you know i was yeah. shooting color by 77 or something like yeah. that. yeah oh, okay so and since then so does the, it's part of your love for what you do the technicals, presumably that was film then, and then you moved into digital, but just the fascination of 
focus and printing and the, mm. the chemistry and the physics and the a, a bit. I don't want to overstate, overstate it. I'm not. I'm not a technological whiz, but mm. uh, um, uh, you know, I mean, photography is over in a hundredth of a second. You know, it's like click <laughs> and it's done. Uh, so a strange job, really. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to fill up. Yeah, you're like a professional seer. You know, professional looker, and um, you kind of have to fill up all the other hours with something. So people do get obsessed with their darkroom practice, as it used to be, their Photoshop practice now. You know, with printing and archival and this paper and that paper, and, and that matters. But it's also a way of plugging the time gaps that you have in your medium you know, from this. <laughs> We're spilling the beans <laughs> now, Paul. <laughs> well, I don't know. Sometimes you look at people who have, you know, they've spent years perfecting their dark room and getting the biggest archival print washers and platinum palladium printers, and you think, oh, if only you spent a little more time taking your pictures. The shot. Yeah, actually work harder on taking the photographs rather than printing the few that you have made. Um, it would be better. Yes. And you you just have to be self-critical in that way. Which, okay. you know, I'm sure it's true in every medium. You can become a musician who spends all his time in the studio getting the most perfect digital sound and forget what the whole point of the song is about. Yeah. You know? That happens a lot. Yeah. If you go out on a shoot, I mean, this is a stupid question, really. It's a piece of string question. You don't have to answer it. About how how few of images that you come back and go, yeah, I'm going to have that one. I'm going to work with that one. Um, well, they surprise you because the ones you often think you, you wander out and you think I've got something great now. This is going to be terrific. You go back, you look at it, you think, eh, you know what? <laughs> it isn't so good. And the image that you think, uh, shall I bother? And I don't think, oh, go on, take one and leave it. You know, why not? You take one, you walk away. And that one is often the one that surprises you and is better than anything you your mind had told you it was interesting. So you have to be open to that, just like in so many mediums, you, know, you don't know where or how you're going to find your inspiration or which thread you can pull on that will be the one that, you know, unravels the mystery, as it were. Yeah, I'm loving this. It's a really good, uh, a really good articulation of that unknown that you step into. And that's a nice world to be in, really, where you can't predict what's going to happen. It is, but it's also frustrating, you know, because yeah. you you can wander around and hopelessly and uh, get lost. So you know, but you do have to try, mm. just like in everything in life, you do have to. Even if you're stuck, just put the damn camera over your shoulder. In our, in my case, just put the camera and go out. Turn and up. Turn up, and try and do the job, and yeah. turn up often enough, and something will arrive. It, it yes, invariably yes. does. Yeah, just like just like for writers, you know, so who, did I, who was I reading that they described the process of writing as vomiting onto the t- it was like vomiting into the typewriter and then picking up the good bits, you know. Like, God, who was that? <laughs> I can't remember, but it was a good writer. <laughs> it was like it was like how how hard it is, how you basically have to spew out this all the crap before you find the couple of good pieces in there, and they will give you a way ahead the diced carrots you were looking for yeah absolutely (laughs) oh dear um but it's it's a precarious living isn't it art photographer fine art photographer pretty precarious yeah how have you dealt with that because it's a totally freelance thing 
I mean, I'm, yes, it's, yes, it's precarious. And most people become teachers, you know, either do commercial work, yeah. you know, have a, have a sort of parallel career as a editorial or, you know, yeah. well, for, for hire, or they teach, become a, what yeah. now is called a professor, a teacher, you know, an educator. Um, I've managed to find some path in the middle, been quite fortunate in that way, though it's mm. precarious, comes and goes. You can hit a good patch when people want your work and, you think, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm going to make a living from here on. And <laughs> just like same for a rock group, you know, you yeah. get your purple patch. Everyone's, you know, you've got yeah. a record deal. Everyone's buying your albums. You're doing a tour. And then a few years later, people are looking over past you for the next big thing. And no one wants to buy, not so many people want to buy your records, you know. But, um, yeah, I was lucky the most. I did get art world representation in london and then in new york and mm. that worked out but it's not it's not easy you know mm. there are years where you um i mean i've been on pandemic relief unemployment benefit whatever it's called here you know yeah so getting through that and my savings but um plus you know right now i'm a straight white male and that is not what people want right now so which is i actually empathize with that i agree exactly. I my turn. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean I don't have to pay rent, you know, or eat. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, same time, it's uh, as three strikes against you and, you know, being who I am. Um, so just got to, it's other people's turn, got to respect that and keep a low profile for a while. <laughs> Which this isn't helping. You're not helping me keep a low profile. Well, I don't, I don't think you need to worry. Uh, but at the other end of the spectrum, the people who are starting out in, well, in your, in your profession or in any profession, really, what words of encouragement for anyone who's creating any form of art right now that isn't necessarily currently in vogue, but it, that's really not the point, is it? But, yeah, what words would you say to them? You've got to do what you've got to do, you know. I mean, it's not like people, someone was asking me at the weekend, we were staying with friends, and he said, so when did you decide to, to become an artist? And it's like, I didn't decide, you know. It, it, it decided for me. There was nothing else that mattered. There was no decision made. There was no point where I thought, I can do this or I can do that. Now, maybe I'm stupid, and I should have thought that. I should have weighed up the pros and cons and made a spreadsheet about life and income and wanting to have a family and home and that versus not having any of that. And, um, but there just was no decision involved. It just, there was no, you know, I went to university in Bristol, which is kind of how we know each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a long winded way. Yeah. And was at university, I discovered photography and to the point where having studied microbiology at university, there was no, I had the option of, going for a job or doing the photography. And there was no decision to be made. It right. wasn't a decision. It just was <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to do the other thing. I, I know what I want to do and that's that. So that's helpful. You eke out a living how you can along yeah. the way. I drove lorries. I worked in bookshops. I worked for your husband a bit <laughs> as a photographer, which he was so kind of him to support his friends, you know, um, and find little jobs for them, even when they didn't need them, when he didn't need me. Um, I bet he did. So, yeah. Oh, I love that because uh, the thing in front of you is the thing, isn't it? Really, the the next thing to do is is it. 
So you don't need yeah. to, it doesn't need to be the big life plan and the No, I mean, you know, I've become a become a father very late in life and mm. uh not extraordinarily late, but late in life. And um I guess I just couldn't have done that earlier. I, I simply couldn't, you know, the the work and the the goals I had, it wasn't a dis- again, it wasn't a decision. It just was something is the way things had to be yeah. at that point. Yeah. And it's only recently that I felt even remotely that, you know, now I could slow down a bit and embrace family and parenthood and stuff like that. And a very nice family it is too, if I may say so. Very lucky. And, uh, and well, thank you, Paul. And we hope to see you um, either if you're coming in this direction or we'd love to come over in that direction when it's uh, when it's at all possible. Yeah, you did. You you did used to come over. It was very nice to see you. When you yeah, well, you'd... it's in the plan at some point when it's safe enough to do so. We'll we'll be over. I think I, I'm optimistic as as a professional, what used to be a professional microbiologist. <laughs> yes, I always, I always thought it would be a few years. I thought between three and four years once this thing started, uh-huh. and, uh, and here we are entering year three. So yeah. it's possible that by okay. the summer things ease a bit, you know, or next summer. Oh, don't <laughs> but yes, we're on the way. We're on the way to somewhere. On the road to nowhere. Yeah, the song in there. as the song goes. Thank you, right. Paul. That was fun. Lovely speaking to you. Great to see you too. And uh, yeah, love to yeah. send me and Marlo. Take care. Do. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm struck by the great unknownness of Paul's line of work. Stepping out with no preconceptions or expectations of seeing, well, who knows what. And trusting that subconscious, intelligent eye to know what it's doing working with great spontaneity and immediacy, and not being able to second-guess which photos will turn out to be the greatest jewels. It all sounds a rather good life metaphor of a process, or an excellent approach to life at any rate. And I love being reminded of the fact that anyone's response to any given photograph, or any artwork, can change, sometimes enormously, over time as well. How many artists, great and small, well-known and little-known, have lost their livelihoods through the course of this pandemic? Here's to a time returning when our artists will flourish and thrive materially as well as artistically. There are links to some of Paul's work in the text for this podcast. He's published many books, but I also encourage you to go and see some of his exhibited work if ever you get the chance because, as with so much visual art, standing in front of a large, highest quality print can be a very different and very rewarding emotional experience. If you enjoyed this conversation, there are many other topics and great guests in the series, so please feel free to subscribe on your favourite listening platform and tell any friends you think might enjoy it too. And until next time... Enjoy keeping all your senses open and alive to whatever art makes your life better.